Hello and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 916. I'm Meg Rowley, the managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm joined for this little intro by Dylan Higgins. Hello, Dylan. Hi, Meg. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and we thought I would join you to preview both my conversation. I had a chance to talk to Ben Clemens and Dan Zimborski about the positional power rankings and the process that goes into those rankings and projections more generally, because uh, I think that that is interesting for our readers to hear. And then we also had a chance to talk about some of the things that we're most excited about in the upcoming season, both on the field and sort of in the margins of baseball. So we did that, and it was a good, fun conversation. What else did we have in this episode? Yeah, after that, David Lorla is joined by Jeff Bannister, who reflects on his years in the Pirates organization and then managing with the Rangers and also talks about some of his own opening day memories of maybe, you know, ones that stood out to him and even things like having to make cuts and what that's like from that side. But uh, it's a good conversation between David and Jeff Bannister coming up after you and Ben and and Dan. But uh, Meg, happy opening day today as this comes out as Thursday. Happy opening day, Dylan. We made it. We made it. We made it. And like this one feels a little more exciting than the last one. Yeah, it certainly is nice to have it fall where it ought to in the calendar. Obviously, we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to the pandemic, either Mm -hmm. in baseball or in society more generally. But it is it is certainly preferable to be getting excited about opening day versus fretting about the future of fan graphs. So I will take this over that any day. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And in your segment, you talk about our membership drive a little bit, but I wanted to bring you in and say, you know, we just recently added a bunch of new contributors, like our staff is growing and things are looking good. And really, as I say in the show every week, but couldn't be done without our supporters. And we just appreciate it more than we can put into words, really. Yeah, we we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be a Fangraphs if it weren't for the support that our readers have shown us over the last year. The pandemic really forced us to adapt our entire business model on the fly, and we're not out of the woods yet. And, you know, ad rates have recovered some, but are still not excellent. So I think that, you know, if you have a Fangraphs membership now, we hope that you'll continue to sustain it, as you might imagine, given the timing of when we started asking for help last year. This is a really important month for the site. Uh, A lot of our memberships sort of come up for renewal, many of them this week, but over the whole next month here. So if you're already a member, I hope that you'll continue your membership and continue supporting the site. As Dylan mentioned, it goes to things that you see on the site every day, right? It allows us to hire new contributors and bring in new voices and perspectives to the site. It helps us to do all of the development work to build out the stats that you've come to rely on. And just the last week, we've added a, a whole host of new yeah. StatCast stats to the site. So, you know, you can see what your your money at the site does. It helps us build a better site for you. And so I hope that you'll sustain your membership. And then if you're you're not yet a member, I hope you'll consider one for this year. I think in a season like this, that's more normal. I think the site really shines as we kind of go day in and day out, helping you to understand baseball and maybe notice some things you wouldn't have noticed throughout the course of the season and understand them better. So I think the the value, if we're going to use that word, is mm-hmm. is pretty evident. And I think that there are some pretty obvious incentives to to sign up for a membership now. A little later into the summer, we will be introducing some modest price increases to all of our membership tiers, but those don't take effect until June 1st. So if you're not a member currently, you don't have an active membership, which means that if you had one in the past and canceled and it's not active now, or you've never had one, if you sign up before June 1st, you'll be grandfathered into the existing pricing model and your price will not go up until at least 2023. And if you're a current member and you you 
maintain your membership and renew, regardless of when that renewal comes up, you'll stay at these prices until at least 2023 also. So this has been a question we've gotten a lot. If you're an existing member and your membership renews in December and it renews, then you're you're set. You're at your current rate. You'll stay that way until at least 2023. So this is the closest we ever really are going to come to offering a discount on membership. We, mm-hmm. we have come up with a price that we think is fair and allows us to, you know, sustain the site and and grow the site. So we really appreciate everyone who has stuck by us in the last year, and we hope that uh, you'll continue to do so and you'll support the site if you haven't already. And I'm really excited to get to watch baseball with all of our readers. So Absolutely. Yeah, a really exciting opening day, and we're excited to share it with all of you. So thanks for helping us do everything we do. And uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything other than happy opening day. <laughs> it feels like a, a happy holidays. Like it, it yeah, says exactly. our holiday. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I hope that everyone gets a chance to listen to the episode before before the games kick off. And if you're listening to this episode now and there's baseball on and you're like, hey, I like those cats. They seem cool. I'd like to chat about baseball with them. Well, you can mosey over to the Fangraphs homepage and we have an all day mega chat. Somebody will be chatting. Someone will be chatting from first pitch to probably last unless things get really wonky on the tail end. So we hope you'll stop by that too. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely come by for the chat. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to the podcast. Hi, I'm Meg Rowley. I'm the managing editor of Fangraphs. As you've probably noticed, we have spent the last week and a half at the site rolling out our annual positional power rankings, where we take every position in baseball and rank each team 1 to 30 to try to give our readers a sense of the state of each position and also the state of each team leading into opening day. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. And to help unpack it, I am joined by Ben Clemens. Hello, Ben. Hey, Meg. And Dan Zimborski. Hello, Dan. Yo. So you guys wrote a lot of PPRs. I edited a lot of PPRs. This is always kind of a funny exercise because we have to have some kind of a season preview. And, you know, our readers are pretty attuned to what goes on in the course of the offseason and they pay attention to transactions. But we have to sort of meet the demand of a preview. And this year is particularly weird because we are coming off the, you know, 60 game pandemic season. And so projections can be kind of funky or at least we feel a little less certain about them sometimes. And guys are moving around and signing late. And so I guess maybe the place to start is to ask each of you what you were most surprised by in the course of assembling these, we should remind our readers that each writer does not do their own uh, pref list. These are determined by a 50-50 split of zips and steamer, and then added with the playing time estimates that Jason Martinez maintains. And that topic will come up a little later in this segment. But as you guys were going through and writing your blurbs and engaging with the rankings, what surprised you the most? Ben, maybe we'll start with you. Yeah, I think the thing that surprised me the most across all the rankings was the amount of teams that had kind of like glass cannon pitching almost like they look really good until a rock hits them. And then I I don't really know how they'll do after that. So in the top half of starting pitching rotations, we have I think you can count the Nationals as part of that. The Yankees, I mean, the Reds are kind of struggling at the back, the Blue Jays. There's just a lot of these rotations where 
if everything works the way that they think it will, they're really good. And they've just assembled enough of those kinds of players that our rankings think that they're a very good rotation overall. But Dan, I know you had Corey Kluber on your 2021 busts and, you know, we have him down for almost three warp for the Yankees. Well, I have to disagree with the projections at some time where people will think I'm a computer. Uh, what, what struck me kind of is there was almost this disconnect between almost how the projections generally felt about the Red Sox and how I feel about the Red Sox. Interesting. I see them as kind of, you know, like a mid to high 70s team. But, you know, all our data coming together suggests, you know, they're a mid 80s win team on par with the Rays. And I don't know if there's some cognitive dissonance floating around in my head, but it they feel very fragile. I know Ben used the term glass cannon, which I which I approve because of the video game reference that that uses that. But I look at the Red Sox depth and their starting pitching is frightening if they yeah. lose someone. Yeah, they're they're in that same boat as the Yankees without quite the number of uh potentially impact arms, but how many games do you want Tanner Houck to pitch as your, you know, <laughs> third or fourth starter? He's like a perfectly nice pitcher to have on your team. You really don't want him to be a, a key cog high up in the rotation. Well, and I think, Dan, as you noted when you did the the relievers, you know, I was kind of surprised by where Boston ended up ranking um, among the bullpens. And, you know, the, these pieces all interact with one another, right? So if the rotation is as fragile as we anticipate it being, then you look at that bullpen and you're like, wow, these guys might end up having to pitch more innings. And is that the best outcome that we could possibly have? Yeah, uh, I mean, even their bullpen depth isn't great. If, if right. everyone's healthy, it, it's good. But, you know, they have a lot of guys that that walk too many batters uh that have questions around them thankfully i mean matt barnes's covid diagnosis turned out to be a false positive yeah it looks like if i haven't mangled that story yeah uh, i think you're right but i mean he he's solid i think but i mean even he's not a perfect picture he has some command issues at times you have to ask what who autumn adam Adovino is because you you look at the at him with the yankees last year they stopped using him in in high leverage situations halfway through the season he was he was barely on the roster in kind of a real impact when you talk about the playoffs so I think, are they really the 14th best bullpen? I'm, I'm not so sure about that. But, you know, it all comes down to methodology, some of the assumptions. So you could, there's probably some give and take in a few directions. Yeah. Ben, should we should we take this moment to talk about the great Rangers shortstop controversy of 2021? I don't know if we'd say great Rangers shortstop. We projected <laughs> him 30th. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to go on record as saying, and I, I mentioned this on Effectively Wild, but I think that like athletes should draw whatever motivation from whatever source is useful to them, right? This is not, everything we're about to say is in no way a knock on Isaiah Kainer-Falefa. Like if, if our power rankings are a thing that gets him through even one hard minute of 162 game season then that is totally fine because I don't like it when people say mean things about me either but Ben do you want to tell our listeners who might not be on Rangers Twitter what this minor controversy was yeah so kind of fully I would say justifiably is going to use our depth charts rankings as motivation because we ranked him 30th uh, you know, as a we ranked well, not him. We ranked the Rangers thirtieth right. as a projected total shortstop position, and I think a lot of the reason for that is because our systems don't do a good job handling his defense. They project him as a meaningfully negative fielder relative to the average shortstop, and that doesn't seem likely to be right. But understandably so, he has you know I think three and a half times as many 
major league innings at catcher as at shortstop. Right. That's not a it's not an easy profile to figure out. And I think basically a lot of people who are Rangers fans thought that I personally just said I think he's the worst shortstop in baseball. Right. And, and got a little angry at me. But I don't think that. I, I think he's pretty good. I don't think he's a great hitter. And, I, you know, he's a great hitter compared to most baseball players. But I don't think he's a great hitter for a major league everyday batter. But I, I am excited to see him field. And I think it's a really cool story that this guy who was forced to become a, like, complete utility player, essentially. Right? He he caught. He played third base. And now he's going to get a chance to be an everyday shortstop. It's not surprising to me that he didn't do particularly well in our depth charts, but I don't really think it's all that controversial, despite the fact that we're calling it a controversy. Yeah, I think that there's a there there are lessons for all of us in this. There are lessons for me as an editor that like maybe don't edit shortstop rankings bleary eyed and 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 uh, not intervene on what I think you and I would both acknowledge was language that probably could have done a better job describing what his trajectory, positional trajectory was over the years. And everyone else can take a lesson to to not worry so much about projections that we take time to say are probably low on a guy. And, uh, and, and then we can kind of go from there, right? You know. One of the nice things about people being mad at Ben is that it gives an opportunity for people to be partially mad at my projections without being mad at me. <laughs> Because sometimes I need a break from that. So, I mean, I can't just blame Carson for everything still, uh, although I try to. But it's fun to see someone else take a little bit of the blame. Yeah. I don't think this is unique to Zips either. No, it's not. Like, if you look at the... I haven't I haven't looked at this, the steamer projections for him lately, although I don't think that they're too far off. I know that, you know, Baseball Prospectus has sort of a similarly skeptical view of him. And and we, again, we'll say this is like, this is a matter of what the, the major league track record for a guy is, and then that his really good shortstop season was so short because of the pandemic. And obviously, our projections are weighting the stuff that happened before 2020 more heavily than 2020 itself because of the, the length of the season. So... I hope that our projections are wrong because then he would have a, a sterling season at short, at least defensively. And that would be great because the Rangers don't, you know, Ranger fans aren't going to have a ton to get super excited about this year. And it would be really awesome if he continued his his great trajectory. You know, I think we could probably have a conversation about like why a guy who was a shortstop coming up was asked to to move to catcher in the minors. Some of that is some of the, the glove guys they had, and some of that was Elvis Andrews, but some of that was probably that they weren't super enthusiastic about him at short, and so they were like, yeah, try catcher, which did not go well. Catcher didn't go well for him. And so now he's back where he maybe belonged all along, and uh, we, we hope that he has a good 2021. I like how people were mad at you, but were not mad at my write-up of the Rangers DH position, which was arguably too long, but did note that there are 12, at least at the time I was writing it, there were 12 NL teams that projected for higher DH war than the Rangers. And that's just interleague play and like pinch hit appearances. So that seems concerning for Texas. Well, it does help that uh, they were projected below zero. So the, <laughs> the fewer plate appearances you get, the better, actually, in this case. That's kind of the Ian Desmond theory, because yeah. his last two seasons with the Rockies are his two best seasons with the Rockies right. in, in kind of a, a, a strange way. Uh, the thing about 
Connor Falefa is when people get upset about projections. I actually did have a couple people, not as many as Ben, that were upset with me when I did the Rangers rundown uh, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I kind of flipped it on them. And I said, what should a projection system say about Connor Falefa? Right. He doesn't have a ton of experience at shortstop. He played it very early on in the low minors. So there's not that much to draw from. He's he's played, you know, more second base recently. And he wasn't amazing at the position. And shortstop is really really hard to play it's not something you can just pick up moonlighting or you know everybody would do it every competent second baseman or third baseman would be playing shortstop so the question is should a projection system be jumping out and saying this guy is going to be a plus eight defender i i don't see how a projection system could pick that even if that turns out to be the case it's like the jose bautista breakout argument Right. Uh, when people say, why didn't Zips project that? I'm like, why should Zips have projected that? that? That's the question, because a projection is kind of the baseline median. Like, was Jose Bautista going from a 757 OPS to nearly a thousand? Was that really a baseline median expectation? And no one can really answer that one. I think it's kind of a similar dynamic at work here. Yeah, I often, and I don't mean this as a knock on broadcasters or beat writers or or sort of general fans. I think that despite the improved understanding of projection systems in sort of like the general population, it's still an area where, you know, we probably would would be well served to make sure to explain the the way that it works and sort of how it processes the grist through its mill every year because I do think that it's a place where there is still a lot of confusion about not only what sort of data is being considered in the system but what what are we trying to as you said like what are we trying to achieve and what would we expect a a projection system to do with sort of corner cases because it does seem to be a place that we bump up against every year and I don't quite know how to better bridge that gap in understanding because I don't want it to be this sort of thing where we are you know we're sitting here like haughty and satisfied (laughs) that we understand projections and other people don't I think that there is still some mystery there that we need to help kind of bring into better focus for people. And I'm not quite sure the right way to do it. Now, two of my favorite angry emails of all time were people who apparently didn't know that I do the Zips projections because they were telling me that I had no idea what the creator of Zips intended. (laughs) So naturally, I'm like, I no, Zips is not a perfect projection system, but I guarantee you I have an idea what the Zips creator envisioned. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I will say like, one of the, not problems, but one of the things that is inherent in projection systems is that they're not going to predict a lot of, like, sui generis things, like a lot of unique things that right. don't have good precedence. That they wouldn't be working well if they did. Right. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that I've been more aggressive about introducing kind of the percentile projections. Right. Yeah. Because one of the hardest things I've found to explain people about projections is I kind of call it the 300 paradox, where no one, very few batters are projected to hit 300 but a number of batters will hit 300 and the projection system knows that because it's kind of hard for people to grasp sometimes that just because you only have two people who are more likely to hit 300 than under 300 doesn't mean you only are projecting two people to actually hit 300 right it's just that not everybody hits their mean projections you expect you know 10 percent of people to hit their 90th percentile 20th 20% to hit their 80th and and so on and so forth. So 
when you have like a bunch of guys that are projected to 297 or 296, 295, a lot of those guys are going to hit 300. And that's one of the things I've, I've struggled to explain at times. And I, I keep trying, but that kind of probability thing, I haven't figured out necessarily how to cross that last little cognitive gap, I guess I'd call it. Yeah. It's the uh, Bonferroni correction in action. You want to use a hilariously overwrought statistical term where <laughs> just because something weird happens doesn't mean that that's a statistical outlier. It could just be that you got a lot of observations. Well, and I think that, and Dan, you and I have talked about this. Like, I want our projections to be right, or at least I want the... I don't know. It'd be so boring. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, like, I want, the, I want the process that sort of underlies them to be rigorous, and I want them to be well-designed and sort of thoughtful in how we execute them. But I'm glad that we don't have a perfectly calibrated crystal ball because I'd hate to know every weird thing that's going to happen in the course of a baseball season. Like the outliers make it really fun and engaging. And, you know, hopefully they're outliers to the upside because it's it's always a bummer when a guy dramatically underperforms what we're expecting of him and probably what he's hoping for of himself. But I'm glad that we don't know all the stuff because then, you know, be it would just be pretty boring. <laughs> I, yeah, it would it would make my job, which I really love, a just a giant slog. I right. think if I had perfect, a magical projection system that told me exactly what happened. If I had, you know, Biff's sports book from Back to the Future too, which would be an excellent projection system, yeah. I would make money in Vegas every April, and then I think I'd just retire after a couple of years because it wouldn't really be any fun. It would just be like, okay, slog out the projections, and I, I wouldn't be able to watch baseball games. Like, who wants to watch something when you know what's going to happen? Yeah, so those are the positional power rankings. We hope that people find them edifying. We hope that people forgive us when they look back and see that, say, the left field PPRs went live before the Aloy Jimenez uh, injury came down. And so that is why they are in that graph third. They are now 27th. <laughs> and, you know, I'll go over this in my summary post that folks should check out. But these numbers move, right? Like the, the projected war for a position updates as new transactions come down and playing time increases or decreases and injuries hit. So if you in the course of the season are interested about sort of where teams stack up for their projected rest of season war at a position, you can look in the totals tab of the depth charts and and, and take a peek there and get a sense of it. But the best part of PPR is being done, apart from the fact that I get to sleep more, is that <laughs> it means there is baseball and we have opening day on Thursday, which I got to tell you, March 30th this year, really superior to March 30th, 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like I like that we're not doing these in July. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty nice. So so what are you guys looking forward to the most about the 2021 baseball season? I don't know. It just feels like such a, a catharsis that it's actually happening. I mean, we knew it was going to happen. It wasn't really it would be really hard to derail it at this point. But after the last year, I mean, it's a struggle for everyone. And obviously, baseball writers aren't anywhere near the most suffering group of people. But it was a stressful year for everyone. Yeah. In, that, that covers baseball for a living, just like it's for everyone on the planet, really. Because, you know, you go in and you find out like, what you do for a living suddenly doesn't exist. And that that's that's a that's a scary thing because I know journalists are kind of used to the industry being, you know, a tire fire uh and you know jobs slowly bleeding off, but you don't expect to one day wake up and it's gone. 
Uh, so just having the opener, even though I'm not going to be there, I'm not going into a game until I get my second shot in the second two weeks have passed. But just having it is just this is one of the opening days I've I've most looked forward to in my life. Yeah, I really just enjoy like aside from being a baseball writer, which is, you know, it's my job. I really like having the sound of baseball on. Yeah. Just in my life. I like having it in the background. And like college baseball doesn't quite sound the same. Yeah. It's the pings. It's really the pings. Yeah, the ping is is still weird. I mean, you're used to it when you're like playing little league or or high school, but the thwack is is such an important part of the of the, I guess the ASMR yeah. aspect yeah. of baseball. <laughs> I think that's completely it. And like I just can't wait to have that sound on in the background. Yeah. It's just going to be so soothing and therapeutic and increasingly there'll be a little bit of crowd murmur. Yeah, I am looking forward to the crowd murmur, you know, with the sort of (laughs) blanket caveat that I want people who are going back to the ballpark to do it safely and for there to be reduced crowds until we have a higher rate of vaccination and all of that. But I think that one of the most disorienting things for me about last season, apart from everything, was uh, watching a game and it didn't happen a lot. I think that the the folks who ran soundboards did a pretty good job in general, but there were a couple of times where the the soundboard reaction to what was going on in the field was clearly wrong. <laughs> like the, you know, the the home team had a had a bad inning and people were cheering and I was like I don't think that the I don't think that the folks that what are what are we calling Kaminsky Park now guaranteed rate field? I don't think that that's what they would do if if this had actually happened in the game. So I'm looking forward to there being a more sort of unified baseball experience with the sound and the action on the field because it was very disorienting when it didn't quite sync right. Uh, it made it made it feel a lot like we were in the simulation. So I'm glad I'll be glad to have that lined up more precisely this year. <laughs> It's, it's, it's actually something that you see a lot in wrestling. Sometimes, like, the wrestling organizations will, like, push a wrestler as, like, a good guy and the crowd doesn't care. So they kind of sweeten the crowd noise. So you'll hear, like, lots and lots of crowd noise and you'll see the crowd just kind of... Because there, there will be a crowd on, like, the empty stadiums, but they'll, you'll just see very quiet people sitting there right. while the audience noise is going wild. And you're like, okay, they've really sweetened this up. As I've had college baseball on um, over the last couple of weeks, there have been a number of ballparks where they still have, and this has been true in some of the the spring training games too. I know that the Mets have some folks back, but they still have the cardboard cutouts out. And so they have the, the cardboard cutouts and then scouts sitting in the scout section. And it is like you are in a horror movie. <laughs> the combination of live people and cardboard, the, the sort of surprising movement that you sometimes see has been has been very disorienting, so I don't, I don't care for that. What are some of the on-field things that you guys are most excited about? I'm kind of interested to see how the White Sox rotation does this year. Mm-hmm. They really didn't plan well, obviously, with the outfield, corner outfield DH position. I mean, they didn't really have a plan B. I mean, they're actually rushing Andrew Vaughn quite a bit. But I'm interested in seeing that rotation because they've kind of accumulated guys who can survive in, in, in guaranteed rate field, like Dallas Keuchel, who actually is good at suppressing home runs. And that team actually has starting rotation depth now. Uh, I mean, they have Kopech and, and Crochet, you know, in the bullpen uh, as kind of, you know, backups, future starters. And I'm just curious to see if they can score enough runs. And, you know, the White Sox tried really hard to rebuild. And, you know, I always like to see these rebuilding teams work out and kind of get, you know, a benefit from their work, which I think the Phillies are not. 
Yeah. Well, we had we had some news come across the transom as we started recording, which is that Jake Lamb is in agreement with the the White Sox on a major league deal. So he will try to help them shore up their their run scoring in Eloy's absence. It's a tall order, but hopefully it works out for him. That's an interesting one. Is he yeah. gonna play outfield? I don't know the answer to well, that. He doesn't really. He doesn't really play third all that well. Yeah, so. it seems unlikely to me that they're gonna stick him out there. I I do wonder if this means they're just really committed to to Vaughn in in left. I don't know. I was convinced that the Angels released John Jay just so that the White Sox would sign him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, like the outfield options are are not the best, at least on the free agent market. I know there are going to be some guys that continue to come free as rosters get set, but I don't envy the White Sox their position or, you know, the Mariners their position for trying to replace Kyle Lewis for a couple of weeks. If only they had an outfielder. I'm not going to snark about it any more than that. I just am so excited to watch this like fully operational Death Star that is the Padres. And it's funny to say that because they still have a couple of guys who aren't fully healthy and, and will come and reinforce them. So I'm convinced that they have been allowed extra roster spots. I think it's the only way to account for what they have going on in their 40 man right now. Yeah, Ben was talking about starting pitching depth. But if you look at like the starting pitching, uh, like our little bar chart, there's like that huge drop off yeah. from the first teams. And you look at the Padres and Dodgers, and it feels like they acquired like all the extra players so that nobody has any. Yeah. I mean, they they have like eight people in their rotation, like each team, while other teams are struggling for five. It's like someone who got in line first and then bought all the concert tickets. <laughs> yeah, geez, that Padres rotation is going to be so they feel fun. Very stacked. Yeah, and they still, you know, they're still like bringing Lamette back. <laughs> So they're still working through his return. It's amazing. Mike Clevenger, not even pitching this year. Right. Spectacular. Dan and I are long-term Joe Musgrove fans. And I think at least, I know I'm long-term. I know Dan's current. Yeah, I was going to pick him last year, but I chickened out. Or did yeah, I I'm pick excited him last year? to see uh, whether he can like continue to step forward. But that's their fourth starter. Right. I have mentioned this before on Effectively Wild. I think because he went to Pittsburgh, my like my most sort of my strongest memory of Musgrove is when he was with Houston and obviously he has he has made significant strides since his days as an Astro when he pitched quite poorly at times. So, I'm excited to watch him in sort of a fully actualized form because I will admit I didn't I didn't watch a ton of of Pirates baseball last year. Like I watched more of it once once Hayes was up, but I did not really engage with the pirates uh, very much, and so I need to I need to refresh my mind's eye uh, view of Musgrove because it is it is wildly out of date, and I am very excited to see him in this Padres rotation so that I can you know enjoy him and also update my my very old prior. <laughs> it's like you can understand why you wouldn't want to watch because it's yeah. like any TV show when they cut the main members of the cast to save money. It's like, I guess, that last season of The X-Files where, you know, David Duchovny yeah. was gone and, and, and Gillian Anderson was gone. So at that point, it's like, who's going to watch? Yeah. Well, I, I want to be mindful of how long we go so that poor Dylan does not have too, too much to edit in a, in a busy day of, of podcast editing. So any final thoughts, guys, on positional power rankings or the 2021 season or really anything at all? It's it's a fun exercise to do every year, even if it's exhausting, because, you know, there's something fundamental about making a list that's very satisfying. <laughs> and our list is not a slideshow either. 
Right. So that's a big plus. Yeah, you got to scroll and scroll. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I'll follow it when it says, you know, like, these 27 cats you must see. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll click on all these. But it's better to, we, we, we can just scroll. <laughs> Plus, they have those handy graphs. Yeah, right. Got the graphs. What about you, Ben? I am, like you guys, just really looking forward to seeing NL West pitching. And so I just can't wait. Like, we should all be very excited for that. It's going to be really cool all year. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing where where we got stuff right and also where we got stuff wrong and how guys surprise us, hopefully in a in a pleasant way. And in the meantime, I, I guess I'll close by reminding our listeners that we are in our spring membership drive for Fangraphs. This is a really important month for the site uh, because of the timing of the pandemic last year and when we first asked for our readers' help in weathering that storm. A lot of our memberships come up for renewal in the next couple of weeks, many of them, in fact, in the next couple of days. So if you're an existing member, we hope that you will continue to support us. If you aren't yet a member and you like the work that we're doing, the positional power rankings, the projections, the here and there of it, that you will consider a membership and support the work that we do. And And we will also just remind folks that a little later into this summer, we will be having some modest price increases to all of our membership tiers. But if you have a membership and you keep it active, so you sign up for a new one now, you renew your membership, you don't let it lapse, whether that's now or later in the year, you will be grandfathered in at the existing prices and you won't have to deal with a price increase until at least 2023. And if you're not yet signed up and you want to take advantage of the pricing we have now, this is a good time to do it. Prices go up on June 1st. So if you want more detail on that, you should check out David Appleman's post on our spring membership drive. If you have a membership already and you still want to support the site, you can gift a membership to someone else, which is a really satisfying thing to do. Or you can check out our store and buy some merch. Or if you're just really excited about Fangraphs and you've done all those things already, you can always donate to the site. Those donations are not tax deductible, but they do help us out. So we really appreciate everyone's help over the last year. There would not be a Fangraphs right now if it had not been for the way that our readers rallied around us last March and throughout the really difficult year that was 2020. So we are so grateful for the support that you've given, and we hope that you'll continue to support us as we you know, bring new features and voices to the site and keep making Fangraphs a a better and better place to consume baseball work. So thank you. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys their opening day, including you two gentlemen. You'll be chatting with us, no? Yep. Yep. Always do. It's always fun. (laughs) Uh, I won't do all 12 hours, but I'll be around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I wouldn't expect that of anyone. It has been a very busy week and a half, but I hope that folks will check out our opening day mega chat, hangout, Enjoy some baseball, and we'll see you on Fangrass Audio again real soon. Hey, baseball fans. This is David Morella. My guest on this segment is Jeff Bannister, former manager of the Texas Rangers, former longtime coach in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, including at the big league level. Jeff, thanks for joining us on Fangrass Audio. David, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, it's it's great to be on with you. I know we haven't talked in a while, but it's always a pleasure to, to have some good baseball conversation. Well, that's the goal. And one thing our listeners don't know is we've jumped through hoops with technical issues. But if uh, people are listening to this, uh, they will know that it worked. Jeff, let's start with the fact that you're not with a big league team now for the first time in, in quite a while. Uh, what are you doing? Well, it's the first time in 35 years, David, that I'm not with affiliated with a major league team. And it seems a little odd not going to spring training, 
and not being connected on on opening day. But right now, I'm still I'm still involved in baseball. I'm I'm a volunteer at uh, University of Northern Colorado. I am the director of player development, if you will, or director of player operations at University of Northern Colorado, trying to help out a group of, of athletes that they may never see a major league field other than other than uh, if they purchase a ticket to go watch a game. And it's been very refreshing for me. It's grassroots baseball. It, it has sharpened me to a degree, but it, it's it's been a blast and, and uh, having fun with it and just kind of taking every day one day at a time. Yeah, one day at a time. That's the way I think we've all been going for certainly the last year, <laughs> if not longer. I do want to, I'm not throwing you a curveball, Jeff, here, but I am going to ask you a little bit of a quiz question to challenge you early on. In the modern era, a total of 91 players had a hit, at least one hit, and were never retired. They had a lifetime batting average of 1,000. Can you name any of those players? Oh, I can name one of them for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yours truly, myself, Pachorik, to University of Houston, I got, I got to tout University of Houston since the Final Four basketball team, first time since 1984 that we're back in. So uh, two Houston guys, one that was one for one being myself and uh, Pachorik being the other one. He was three for three. Right. So, so you have already answered what was going to be my bonus question, which is the only player to in history to have gone three for three. It, it is John Pachorik. And if I didn't write this down, 1963, maybe? I believe so. You know, I believe so. Right. No, I think it's remarkable, though, that there are actually 91 players who went one for one. I think it's maybe eight or nine went two for two. So you're still in select company, though. Oh, yeah. I, I tell everybody we were so good they had to kick us out of the league. <laughs> for sure. Nobody, nobody, nobody could get us out. And nobody did get you out. You did not get to experience an opening day as a player. You know, this pod is going up on, on opening day. You did have opening days as both a coach and as a manager. Which one stands out the most to you? Well, I, I think they're both uh, different, and they all stand out. Now, my, my very first opening day with the Pirates, pretty incredible because it's the first time I'd, I'd got to experience all the pomp and circumstance of opening day. And then, you know, at fast forward to opening day uh, when we had opened up PNC Park uh, for the first time. Willie Stargell had just passed away the night before we were supposed to play an exhibition game uh, against the Mets. So that was you know, pretty tragic in itself, being that, that Willie was a good friend and a mentor of mine. But I think that the first day as a manager uh, really stands out. The very first one, we were in Oakland, and a little backstory of that situation. Coming out of spring training, and I think not, not everybody knows the story of of some of the health issues I've had in the past as a kid and, and uh, suffering through some, some bone cancers and a broken neck and uh, some bone infections and things like that. Coming out of spring training, we, we had some exhibition games uh, in Globe Life, and we were sitting there during the game one night and before the season started, and I started feeling just horribly, like I had the flu. And I stepped down off the bench and my left ankle, the one that I'd, I'd had, I've had seven surgeries on and was extremely tender, uh, hot, inflamed. And I thought, oh, no, uh, here we go. Getting ready to start 
my managerial career is going to be derailed before I even get going. And, and so I left this, went into the training room. Trainers told me to go home. We started some treatments uh, for, you know, typically a flu, had doctors uh, look at me, but I stayed at home as the team flew to Oakland. And I arrived the, the first day, the day of the game, and I got to the stadium right before the game. And, and don't, you know, that whole game, just excruciating pain, feeling like crap. So the whole experience of being a a manager for the first time, and oh, by the way, we lost the game. So, but you know what? It's I don't know that I would have changed it. I, I think I've lived my life as obstacles come, and we try to maneuver through them and pass them. And but I do remember that you know everything about the game, the smells, the the fans, the players just the excitement so but more importantly i think the the game in seattle where we got uh one hit it was cole hamels versus king felix and we got one hit and 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 actually won a a baseball game three to nothing right that was the following opening day you arrived uh in the 2015 your first opening day as a manager on the day of the bats didn't show up till the next day you got one hit (laughs) by sunny gray and then the following (laughs) year right your club won with with one hit, which that doesn't happen every day. And no, that, it doesn't. Uh, you know, no, it doesn't, Jeff. I was going to say that you know that first year, 2015, you're a new manager. The team was actually coming off of a last place season, and you ended up making the playoffs. What was the mood in spring training? Did everybody feel that this actually is a good baseball team? Well, I, you know what? That's a great question because I, I I think everybody inside felt like we had the players to be a really good baseball team. They had, they didn't forget how to win. However, there was, if you look back at the season four, there was a lot of things that went on, injuries. Uh, Ron Washington was let go. There were a lot of things that went on in that season that made it very challenging for for a team to win, some some things to overcome. And and one of the things going into spring training, we we really looked at how do we – re-engage this group of guys into thinking that they are a, a great baseball team. And it was a challenge because if you remember, very first day of spring training, we lost you Darvish. We were on one of the backfields and he was throwing a, a simulated situation and towards UCL. And so he was going to be out for the, the whole season. Uh, we left spring training with Adrian Beltre with a, with a uh, tweaked hamstring and a, and a oblique that was strained. We lost Derek Holland in opening day at home. We lost our left fielder, Ryan Rua, first day of opening day at home. However, one of the things that I learned quickly about about that ball club was that they had the, the desire to win. They were not going to let anybody kind of get in their way. And it was a situation where if you look at the, the standings, we were, I think, at all-star break. I think it was seven or eight games back, uh, seven games under 500. John Daniels was kind of, we were in discussions on which direction we were actually going to go. And one of the things that me and the coaching staff just kept reiterating to JD that, you know, this team is going to win. Uh, We're built to win. I know that we were coming off of eight and 16 first month. We'd kind of gone back and we put some runs together, but we were learning how to win without hitting the balls out of the ballpark. We were learning how to win without a, without a closer. 
We were learning how to win playing defense, which is something that the Texas Rangers, it was not a premium for them at the time. And so re-engaging on the, on the mound of, we're not a bunch of strikeout artists. And we weren't, you know, even though we had Prince Fielder and we had Odor, if you remember, his, we had to send him down. He was not a big home run hitter at the time. We didn't have Gallo. We didn't have Mitch Moreland was kind of, you know, there were some spaces where he was really, really hot and, you know, some spaces that, but more importantly, we kind of learned the continuity of, of how to play baseball, run the bases well, play defense, pitch it well enough. And uh, if you'll remember, there's, and I believe you even asked me a question one time was, you know, because we came out with the, the, the whole mantra, no rolls bullpen. And you, you wanted to know exactly, well, what did that mean? <laughs> so, and lo and behold, it was, uh, we get Cole Hamels. You know, it was one of the, one of the guys that we had earmarked. He was a ch- he's been a champion, but when we got him, it was kind of harking back to the night in uh, Minute Maid where uh, we had a little dust up with the Astros. I think we we that night was the night that we got on a roll and didn't stop until we were beat by Toronto in the playoffs. You mentioned the slow start that team had two years earlier when you were the bench coach for the Pirates. That team, I believe, lost on opening day. Started one and six. That was the 2013 team where the Pirates went from, is it 20 straight losing seasons to the playoffs? Yes, it was. And, and very similar teams, really. And very similar situations. And, and, and I think this is where, you know, a lot of times we, we want our teams in spring training to come out of spring training, you know, firing on, on all cylinders, right? But one of the things that I learned from, from watching Francona a lot and the teams that he's had, it's... It's really, can you get your team to, out of spring training as healthy as you possibly can, learn about you guys that are going to need to be called up to, to replace players or to fill in for guys that have been hurt so that you know exactly who they are coming out of spring training, what they can do, what they're capable of, and, and really what role should they fill. And then, you know, don't get so caught up in, in the actual win-loss record. You know, the old adage, you're not going to win – a championship in the month of April. Now you can lose one. You definitely can. You can lose a season in the month of April and May. If you're not playing well and you're not, you know, you don't have that upward trend, but more importantly, it's how can you get your club through the months early on? Can you stay healthy and can you get your pitching staff in, in, in good enough shape to where, you know, you don't overtax them. You don't overtax your bullpen and you've given your guys appropriate, rest throughout the season so that when the when the month of july august and september roll around that you still got enough in the tank and i think that that's you know one of the things you look back at, at the 2015 season we were in a place but we had such an uphill climb that we spent so much energy and if, if you remember we we needed one win the next to the last day we we were, I think, seven or eight runs up on the Angels going into the into the uh, seventh or eighth inning, and we blew that lead. And it was indicative of kind of how we had started the season, where we had blown Neftali's lead, I believe, and, you know, before we went to the whole no-rolls bullpen, and we brought along Sean Tollison to be the closer, which is your non-typical closer. However, we had spent so much energy getting to that point. Uh, we lost that game. Cole Hamill's starts the uh the last game of the season goes the entire way 
gave up a two-run shot, I believe, in the first inning, and but you know, steadied himself, and we were able to win that game, and we won a couple of games against Toronto early. Looked good, but with so much energy being spent, people don't take into account the the, the mental and emotional side of of baseball on an every night basis of you know how uplifting it can be, but how draining it can be as well. Yeah, let's jump back, Jeff, to the, the spring training dynamic. Does what a team does in the spring tell you anything about what to expect? And the same goes for how players perform. Well, it's not going to tell you, it's not indicative of what a team is going to do. I think we put a lot, we put way too much stock in, in what guys do in, in spring training, more so than, you know, your veteran players need so many at-bats to be ready. You know that your veteran pitchers, you know, the number of innings, number of pitches thrown to be capable of, of starting the season. I think what you can do is you can look at some, some of the guys that you've, you've tabbed to be relievers. And if you can get them in situations against core, core hitters early on in spring training, middle part of spring training, how do they respond to back-to-back days and things like that? What does their stuff look like? It's going to tell you a lot about you know, who those guys are and what they possibly think they can be. Now, we always talk about competition, right, in, in, in spring training, whether we bring these guys in and say they're going to be in competition. Well, if they're in competition for a starting role, you probably have a guy that you, you're looking at and thinking, look, this is his skill set. And, and based on his experience, if he's experienced, you have some knowledge of what, what they are. And do they look like what, they, what you've seen in the past? Are they healthy and things like that? But I don't put a lot of stock in, in saying that, hey, these guys can win or lose a, a position on a team in spring training. Now, I wanted to know, you know, like I said earlier, guys that may not make our team know that they're going to be on our AAA team or they're going to be on, on a AA team or on one of our minor league facilities or development, whatever you want to call it now, your developmental teams. What is their skill set? What can they do to help you in a winning environment? What can they do if they have to fill in for seven to 10 days? And are they capable of coming up for a month and providing a place not to help you be a blockbuster team, but can they be serviceable enough so that they can help provide help for your team and that's where you have to understand what their skill set is so can you put them in position to show you that in spring training and then pay attention to them and listen to your developmental people are saying this is the guy this is what he's doing and this is this is how he's going to help your team and you you mentioned players you know having to make the team every manager this time of year is entrusted by telling young players that they did make the team and by also telling players they did not make the team. That experience, I suppose, in some ways is fun, and in the other way, not fun at all. Absolutely. No, the human side of, of our business is, can be great. When you, when you tell a player that, let, let's say he's never been in the big leagues before, and you, you tell a player that he's made the team, it's one of the, one of the happiest days. Because you're not just telling him, right? You're telling his family, you're telling his high school coach, his college coach, his buddies. You're telling everybody that has had anything to do with this player in his lifetime that, you know, he's 
going to be able to fulfill a dream that in all intents and purposes was just a dream. And then on, on the flip side of that, it may be, okay, you've got a young player that, that really thought he had a chance to make the team. Something happens. He's not going to make the team. You tell guys, listen, this is not denial. This is we're put your, your, your time is being put on pause, right? You're going to go down. You got to continue to play. And that's tough, right? No player wants to hear that. I would tell, tell GMs and front office folks that every player that comes to camp and even play minor league players that you, you call over from minor league camp, right? That, that are filling in just for the day. There is still that deep, dark recess in their mind going, I can do something to where I can make this team. Everybody has that in them. I want everybody to have that in them, but there's only so many spots. Now, the the part where you kind of fast forward to, let's take a veteran player, that he's come in, maybe he's on the team, maybe he's on the 40-man, and he's been, he was on your team before, but there's a there's a younger version, there's a younger player, fresher legs, and you've got to make a decision, a baseball business decision on now this player is not going to make your team. That's a hard that's a hard conversation because most likely that means a release. There's probably not a place for you for that player on your on your triple A team. And that's a hard conversation. That's I'm empathetic with, with every one of those players because you're telling them that, you know, for some time, some guys, it may be the end and some, it's just, you know, they may have an opportunity somewhere else. And you just always have to remember that just like when you're telling uh, a player that he made a team, that the whole trailer full of folks that are coming along with him, when you're telling a guy that he's not making the team, there's a whole host of folks that are, not making the team with him. And there's, that's not the fun part of it, but it is, uh, I, I tell guys all the time, it's look, we're not denying you the right to, to continue to play this baseball game. And I hope that there's another opportunity for each one of them and would, you know, help them all uh, find a way uh, to hook up with another team because it is a great game and it's a great game to play. And it, I, in my opinion, there's none better. And a similar thing, of course, happens, Jeff, to managers. You won a Manager of the Year award, went to the playoffs two years in a row. Another year and a half later, you were let go. What went south in Texas? Oh, you know what? Look, I I think that I don't know that it was what went south as much as it was that we'd won two divisions. We We didn't get past the first round. You know, in 17, we were on our way. You know, had an opportunity. I felt like to to get close, get in the playoffs. We had some injuries that kept us out. And then in, in eighteen, I knew the front office knew that it, we were we were headed towards a rebuild. And one of the things that you know John Daniels and I talked about is that I didn't want to come out, and I didn't necessarily want JD to come out and say that it was a rebuild. That we were, you know, the win loss record was not part of the the, the equation. Because you know what? I had a player on my team that was every night was knocking down some numbers. He was adding to a resume that will eventually put him in the Hall of Fame. And I had promised him that when I showed up that I would expend every every ounce of energy I had to help him be part of a World Series winning championship team in Texas. 
And I wanted to continue that mindset with, with every player there. Now, David, as you know, that's a relentless mindset. And sometimes in baseball, that's, that's not always what's necessary or what's welcome. And it's kind of, you know, at the time it was what I was committed to. Uh, it's what I, you know, convinced our, our coaching staff to be committed to. However, there was some, there were some young players on that team that it was a challenge and it became evident, you know, late in the season that this was going to be a, a, a real rebuild. And so I think that it was decision was made, you know, to start fresh. And so, and if you look at where the Rangers are at right now, traded Elvis Sandris in the off season, Rugnet Odor is no longer there. They've gone younger. And, you know, with, I'm guessing the, the, the most veteran player might be Brock Holt on that team if he makes that club. I, I, and so, you know, there, this is a, a, a complete rebuild. Not saying that it's something that, that I didn't want to be part of, but uh, I was fully committed to taking the trek down the, the, the pathway of, of trying to win a World Series and, and still committed to that. And so, again, that's a relentless mindset. And sometimes that's not always what's necessary. Right. The future Hall of Famer you were talking about, I'm sure, is Adrian Beltre. <laughs> one, of, one of the best one of the best, best and toughest players I've ever been around in my life. We are running out of time, Jeff. I do want to hit you with one more thing because you mentioned rebuild. You spent decades with the Pirates organization, and they are now in a, in a rebuild, complete teardown, really. Do you see a light in the, at the end of the tunnel for that organization? It's going to be tough. Uh, listen, I, I, uh, it again... I, I know it's you're up against the time, but 21 years of rebuilding. That's a hard pill to swallow. Now, I'm proud to be part of it because we came out the other end and, you know, we had a great leader in Clint Hurdle and you know, we had some, some players come through there that were, you know, to the likes of Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett Cole and, you know, guys that were just tremendous players. And we developed some great players, but you've got to find a way at some point to keep your players. You've got to keep that continuity and put a team on the field. The, the city of Pittsburgh deserves an opportunity to win. It, it is one of the, one of the, in my opinion, one of the better fan bases in baseball and sport period. And they deserve an opportunity to win. And when you, when you tear down a complete tear down, uh, you got to hit on some players really, really fast. And you got to be right on some of the free agents you sign. If not, there's going to be another teardown. I, I went through sequential five-year plans for 21 years. It didn't, it didn't work very well. Now, mind you, it, it did as we got things going in the right direction, Neil Huntington and everybody, you know, we finally got some, some of the players in there. We were able to keep some of them, of them together. But you, you saw after 97 wins, in 2015, I believe, and, and, and they got beaten in a wild card game. It was, you know, when you're in it, when you're in the tough division like the Central, and you you have to go against the Cubs, you got to go against the Cardinals. And uh, I mean, at one point, it was, in my opinion, during those years that we were there, that it, it was one of the best divisions in all of baseball, and it's a tough place to win. Yeah, it is indeed. It is hard to win in any division in baseball. There, there is a lot of talent. Jeff, I think we are out of time, so I would like to thank you for joining Fangraphs Audio, and perhaps we will do this again in the future. Outstanding. Thank you very much. This has been Fangraphs Audio. 
We hope you have a wonderful opening day in 2021 season. Best of luck to your favorite squad. If you would like to support Fangraphs but money is tight, which we certainly understand, you can simply help spread the word. Tell a friend about the podcast, or our daily articles, or our roster resource pages, or our Twitch channel, or any of the other things we offer over at Fangraphs.com. One more time, thank you for everything. We'll talk to you next week.